Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, go to the book of Acts, if you will, and uh, we are going to be in the book of Acts, and we're talking about the next generation, and let's pray, and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. That's what the book of John says, and it is true. Lord, I need you right now. This is your word, and it is your message, and you've given us insight and as we study the Bible, and on Wednesday night, as we walk through what your word says about many things. But Lord, this subject about the next generation and how important it is, and God help us to define it clearly in the word of God, help us to take what it's going to take uh, to get this thing done, uh, that God long after the moms and dads and grandparents are gone, that Lord, the church is alive. And the church is strong, and the church is still taking the gospel, and it still stands by the Bible, by what is right, and abhors that which is evil, cling to that which is good. And God is going to take us, the older, the mature, the adults, to understand our role in keeping uh, the next generation to where they will serve you until they see you. Bless us, please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we talk about the next generation, I want you to look around maybe if you're there with your kids sitting around you. When we talk about the next generation, we're not talking about producing the next generation for the sake of this movement. Uh, now, I'm an independent Baptist. I am very much proud of my heritage. But Emmanuel, please know this, that I am not interested in keeping a movement alive. I am interested in Emmanuel Baptist Church, 2200 West Loop 281, Longview, Texas, East Texas community, that there be a lighthouse here, that there be a church here for people in this area to come to. And when they come to it, then what you're going to find out is that they truly need to have a place. Now, this place is where they can walk through these doors and have a place for them to come. If I happen to agree, and if there happens to be a sister church, it is not because I agree with them. It is because they agree with the Bible. Because I am operating according to what the scriptures have to say, not according to what the brethren have to say. So here in Acts chapter 12, you're going to walk through a progression that we read last week. We're going to talk about the next generation. If you're there in Acts chapter 12, go to the end of Acts chapter 11. Back up just one. Let me review. You're going to find out that Barnabas and Saul were sent with relief. I talked about that last uh, Wednesday night uh, with the cash and the briefcase and when we took money down to uh, southern Louisiana to help with the flooding there in Baton Rouge. Barnabas and Saul at the end of Acts chapter 11, they are starting to send relief unto the brethren. And then we're going to find out when we get to Acts chapter 12 that we come to where Barnabas and Saul at the end of Acts chapter 12 pick up John Mark. And when they pick up John Mark, then in Acts chapter 13, you're going to find out that they now go to the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch takes and uh, lays their hands on them and ordains them to be sent out. The Holy Ghost said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul 
for the work of the ministry. So they set out. Are you there in Acts chapter 13? You're going to find out that they have John Mark to their minister at the very top of Acts chapter 13. Then as we start walking our way down, the very first ministerial stop is on the island of Cyprus. If you are looking at a map, it's an island right there in the middle of the sea. And uh, you're going to find out Jerusalem is to the south. And uh, so there they are. They're at the port of uh, Salimus. They're there at the port. Then they cross the island to the other side to a city or a region or a part known as Paphos. There. On this island of Cyprus, in the middle of the sea, uh, at Paphos, they meet two people. They meet the Sergius, um, they, excuse me, they meet Bargesus, which was a sorcerer. And then they meet a deputy named Sergius Paulus. Now, the deputy wanted to hear about Christ. And so what happened from that point was, is that the sorcerer was taking apart. So get the picture. John Mark, Barnabas and Saul. The, the, the sorcerer, the deputy, deputy wants to hear about Christ. The sorcerer wants to stop the deputy from hearing about Christ. John Mark, that next generation is standing right there. Then all of a sudden the sorcerer begins to try to sway the deputy away. Well, this is where Saul is changed to Paul. I get the picture. We talked about it last night, last Wednesday night, and I would encourage you to go back. All of a sudden, Paul gets that mama look on his face, and everybody knows what that is. Mama, when she dropped her eyes, mama wasn't happy. Paul gets that, and then Paul says, if you'll look at verse number 10, and said, O full of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy... When he saw what was done, believed. I'm going to stop right there as we talked about last, uh, last Wednesday night. You and I also would absolutely believe if we saw the same thing happen. The problem was, if you look at verse 13, and here's what I want to get to. John Mark, this is very important. John Mark wasn't ready. He wasn't ready for this kind of ministry. If you'll go back and watch last week, I made reference to uh, Ben Ben Hicks. And I asked Ben, Ben, come on up here. Finish out the sermon right there. Now, he was cool, calm, and collected. Yes, you were, Ben. You know you were. And you were like, well, if you really want me to, Pastor, I'll come up. His mom and dad sitting on the second row. His dad just started laughing. Brother Rob and Miss Lisa was just like, no, he would faint. This is what I'm talking about. I believe Ben Hicks and every young man and every college age and every young boy, they are the next generation. Again, not the next generation to lead some movement someplace nobody knows where they're going and they don't even like where they end up. I'm talking about a local church. I'm talking about the strength of a church to, to impact a community for decades. If the Lord tarries is coming, that's what we have to have. John Mark wasn't ready for this level. God's called me to be a pastor. I'm 52 years of age. And Emmanuel, this is my passion. To me, what an honor to do this kind of thing. Get up early, stay up late, worry, fret, pray, read the Bible. But you know, I'll be honest with you, 
Um, not all the John Marks, not all the young ladies and young men are ready for this kind of ministry work. So now you're going to find out that John Mark here in Acts chapter 13 and look at verse number 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. In fact, if somebody in the family wants to look at the map on the very back of your Bibles, you're going to find out that they went north to this part, this um, Perga in Pamphylia. But John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. We talked about it last Wednesday night. Then Acts chapter 15, a sharp contention. And then the premise of this whole next generation is, is 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul ends up an old man. And at the end of this journey, only then did he say John Mark is profitable. I made this statement last Wednesday night that I don't want to wait till I'm an old man to let the John Marks to let the young ones, the teenagers, the college age, I don't want to wait to let them know they're very profitable. We need to start preparing our future now, and the next generation is the key. This brings me, for the remaining couple of moments, this brings me to the lesson for tonight. Tonight I want to talk about, in Acts chapter 12, if you'll go there, Acts chapter 12, I want to talk about the next generation begins with the home you know if you'll look at Acts chapter 12 we're going to back up and we're going to look at a couple of things let me tell you that the next generation does not begin with the church I want to say that again the next generation doesn't begin with the church the next generation of church leaders begins right there where you're at in your home Mom and dad, right now, I want you to look at the children that are surrounding you in your living room, at your dining room table, wherever you're at right now. That, that right there is the workbench. That place is what makes it possible that when they leave your home, that they duplicate what they have seen in your home. Here in Acts chapter 12, John Mark returned to a place of prayer it was a house of prayer and mom and dad never forget this that kitchen table that living room those bedrooms that porch that garage that back porch those chairs that time you spend that is what determines Christianity uh, effectiveness for future generations go to Acts chapter 12 verse 1 we'll give you four things tonight in the Bible study five things if I could and I'm going to go through them and I want you to take the, this to heart and maybe talk about this after we end tonight right there that'll be your invitation talk about it Acts chapter 12 verse 1 look at it now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, because he saw it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to, four, to the four uh, 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 quatrains of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. Look at this. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. 
The next generation starts in the home. And the very first thing I want you to notice in these verses is this. There was a clear line of distinction between the world and the church. Now that's very important. You see, your family is being raised on this premise. There are three things going on. There is the world, there is the home, and there is the church. So these three things are going on. Always remember this, that your children are in a tug of war with the world and with the church. You see, they're leaving your home one day. One day when they leave your home, they will either gravitate toward the world or they will gravitate toward the church. I was 19 and a half when, when, when I got married. I would not recommend that. That was just how it happened to work out in my world. And looking back, I can see the hand of God through it all. And uh, so don't claim that God's in it just because you want to get married. But I remember that Friday that I walked into the house and I was leaving the house for the very last time. Grabbed my suit, got in the car, and uh, I went to uh, Brother and Miss Mathis's house and uh, got ready over there and uh, got back from Shreveport at the airport, grabbed my stuff, got ready, rushed up here to the church. And, um, uh, and when I came up, that was the last time I ever stepped foot in my mom and dad's house as a residence. 19 and a half. I'm 52 years of age. How have I stayed in the house of God? One reason. That's 11. One reason. And that one reason is this. Our home was very much aligned with the church. And my mother and my father made a big distinction. Here's the world. Here is the church. Here in Acts chapter 12 verse 1, it is very interesting that three words are used. You have your Bible? Mark them, if you will, in verse number one. Now, about the time Herod the king, that's the world, stretched forth his hand to vex. The word vex there means to exasperate. It means to harm. It means to hurt. Never forget this, mom and dad. The world is out to hurt your children. So the word vex. Then I want you to notice how far it went. Kill. Look what it says there in chapter, in verse number two. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So you're going to find out that it is the M.O. of the world. Are you ready to give a hard time to anybody associated with the church? To give anybody associated with Jesus Christ? We live in East Texas, which is the Bible Belt. This is a wonderful place to live. But please know this, no matter how wonderful this is a place to live, and we may be surrounded by believers, do not, do not, do not fool yourself. The underlining tone, no matter where you go, is this. The world is always vexing the church and God's people. And your children right now are trying to determine and trying to decide, mom and dad, does the world have all the answers? Or is what that pastor and what that church says down there, do they have all the answers? Because they're leaving your home. And you want them to understand, children, listen to this, the world has never liked the church. So they vex them. They kill them. Then I want you to notice this. Peter, they apprehended to kill him. You know, this is very interesting. I'll tell you this. The world will bully our children into thinking that they are odd. 
because they because our ladies wear a skirt that they are odd because we don't go to the movie house that they're odd because they don't smoke or they don't drink and aren't they always shocked when it's like what you have never kissed somebody listen to me the world is always giving a hard time because they like they did to James they want to kill no they probably will not kill them physically but spiritually and then they have people that they want to put in prison to keep to kill so there has to be a clear distinction between the world and the church this clear line was drawn right here the church had so exploded in the book of Acts, so exploded in the book of Acts, that you read through the book of Acts, wonderful things are happening. Well, the devil didn't like that, so King Herod was used of the devil to start bringing impact to the church. They killed James. It pleased the world that they took Peter. They were going to hold him for an encore after they got past the Passover. So now you're going to find out, and I want to read this to you, the next generation must have an identity. That's why you're going to find out that very rarely, very rarely, do I ever, am I ever asked, hey, by the way, what home are you from? Nobody ever asked me, hey, by the way, what home are you from? When I dress right, when I act right, nobody ever says, Hey, hey, by the way, what home are you from? What home do you attend? They always ask me this. What church do you go to? Because you see, our identity is wrapped up in what church we go to, not what home we are from. I was getting my hair cut yesterday. And as I was getting my hair cut, I walked into the barber shop. And because I pastor here in East Texas, the gentleman, I went to introduce myself. And he said, oh, I know, I know you. I, I know what church you go to. He never said, I know what family you're from. Mom and dad, if I could just come into your living room right now, which I probably am. Hopefully I'm on a 60-inch TV, 72-inch TV. How does my hair look? And uh, can I tell you, remember this. The church will be your children's identity in the next generation, not your home. Because when they look at you, they are looking at somebody that they have to have this identity. And if we're going to have the next generation, it begins right there at your address, in your living room, at your table, at your couch, on your back porch, in your car, in your yard. Every party, every gathering, has, has, you've got to make it very clear that there is the world system and then there is the church family. So there has to be a distinction between the world. There needs to be just as much distinction between the world and the church as there is between darkness and light. You know what it says about God? In him is no darkness at all. Zero. Nada. There is none. So if we want to raise the next generation, then guess what we have to have? We have to make sure that there is a clear distinction between the world and the church. The second thing I'm going to point out in Acts chapter 12, and this is that John Mark uh, that Paul said was profitable. Look at Acts chapter 12 and verse number 11. Now when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety. 
that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. There has to be an alliance between the home and the church. So there has to be a distinction between the world and the church, but all, remember these three areas, there has to be an alliance. There has to be a closeness. In fact, during this time, and especially in this place, if you'll notice back there in Acts chapter 12, go to the very beginning in verse number 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So here you have the church, this body of believers praying, and then you have in the house of Mary believers praying and whether this church was in this house or this house was a part of this church don't you love the fact that they were aligned oh my friend when the when the kids step from the world system into your home it ought to be night light tonight but when they step from your home into the church it ought not to be anything but a continuation of the same prayer in the church prayer in the house and here you have john mark And John Mark was from the house of Mary, the house of prayer. The church was a place of praying. We'll make a statement, and I wish you were here to write it down. I wish that you were here. I could see it on your face. Listen to this. They took the problems of the church and made it a matter of prayer in the house. You know what? I'm going to tell you, if you will just remember that one thing. They took the problems of the church and made it a matter of prayer in the house. If every home of Emmanuel will pick up the passion and the obstacles and the problems of our church, and you will talk about them much inside your house, and you will take your house and say, look, the church is trying to get, we're on a path to get the outside remodeled. Hey, we need to get this done. And hey, we need to get this done. Most of the time when people leave the church they attend, it's like, yeah, you know, we're just going to leave all the problems down there at the church. Listen to this. This mama knew something that unlocked the creating of a John Mark, and that was this. We are going to take the Peters being in prison, the vexing, the the killing out there, and we are absolutely going to go make it a matter of prayer, and we are going to see miracles done. The children inside your home need to know it's just not something down there at the church house. They need to know that we in this family prayed. We prayed. And the more we prayed, the more we saw God do something. Do you know that when people, when we pray, and their people are healed when we pray, do you know that there's um, two kinds of families that come to the church? Emmanuel, listen to this, two kinds of families. You know what they are? The one family that the miracle just happens at the house of God. The other family is when the children and the parents inside their house were praying, and then all of a sudden the children look at their parents and go, hey, we just prayed about this. You see, we will not raise that next generation unless there's a distinction between the world and the church. And then we will not raise that next generation until the church and the home are allies. World and the home need to be enemies. The world and the church 
And I'm going to get to in the last point, but the world and the church are only a result. Their closeness is only a result of the next generation leading the church. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Go to Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. Are you there? I don't know if you are or not because I can't tell. Put down that popcorn. Pick up that Bible. There ought to be a clear distinction between the world and the church. There ought to be a clear alliance uh, between the home and the church. You know the good thing about doing this? There are no commercials. Yes, there is. Hey, did you know that Easter Sunday is coming your way? And we would love to have you with us on Easter Sunday. Stop by the church and pick up your door hangers and your Easter programs and invite everybody to come. If you'll call the church, they're available Monday, uh, Tuesday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Thank you very much. Now back to our regular schedule program. Uh, Acts chapter 12, look what it says there. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying. Mom and dad, listen to this. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told Peter, told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking when they had opened the door and saw him, and they, they were astonished. This next generation has to be a distinction between the world and the church. It has to be totally two different things. Then there has to be an alliance between the church and the home. They have to be together. But inside this home, begins in your home, it begins in my home, that next generation. The next thing that has to happen is this is that in your home is where you battle between faith and doubt. You see, in the church is not the time to battle between faith and doubt. This is not the place for us to come together and everybody sit there skeptical. No, no, no. This battle between faith and doubt, it needs to take place in the home. It needs to take place in the home. And it needs to be, yeah, yes, we're, we, we're praying for this. And then it's like, I, I don't think that's really it. You, you know, it's the thing, we're praying for the Peters to get out. And it is amazing to me, and, and listen to me, it is amazing to me how Rhoda, they call her a damsel, so I'm going to assume that she was of the younger of the house. It's amazing to me, mom and dad, and please take this, that children and teenagers will come to a grip with what God wants and expects long before the adults do. It's always been that way. So I will tell you this. This is where you battle faith and doubt. Battle it in your home. Mom and dad, get the Bible. Children, get the Bible. Want to know what the Bible says. I am going to use an illustration without names, of course, and, and I did not ask the family if I could do this, but I'm going to be very general. What a great thing it was to get a phone call from a dad to say, could you come to the house and could you scripturally explain something to our family? So I did. Grab the Bible. I went over there. We scheduled. We came and we sat down. And I took the Word of God and I showed exactly what the Word of God had to say about an issue and about a subject that the family was trying to learn more about. Oh, that's the right venue. That is the right venue. 
Because when you in that home can take the word of God and say, okay, family, we're going to find out what is going on here. What is going on in the scripture? And there's a Peter knocking at the door. This is what we want. It's what we've been praying for, but we doubt this faith and this doubt. That next generation has got to know that my personal life will be a journey of figuring this thing out. This is what God's word says. Whenever I hear somebody say, I'm going to search the scriptures. That is the best move any father can make and any mother can make. What does the scripture say? That way, when you come to church, that what the pastor says about the scriptures is something you've already been studying in the scriptures. And together, guess what's going to happen? Together, it will be amazing. Church is for the place of lifting up Jesus Christ. It is not for the place to get into a debate. It is for the place for parents to sit there and go, that's what the scripture says. I got a text today uh, from, from, from a member that said, thank you. I've been studying my Bible. And in studying my Bible, the last couple of weeks and the messages that have been being brought, the scripture just seemed to line up. This is where you create the next generation. The next generation is not created from the pulpit to the pew. It is created from the supper table to the member of the family. And then those members of the family find a church that mirrors what they already believe. You don't come to church to find out what we believe. You get into the word of God and say, God, what is going on? So a home has this mixture of faith and doubt. There's the Rhoda. Peter's at the door. There's the family saying, you're crazy. And Rhoda's like, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. Guess what? She wasn't crazy. All because of this faith. We want this done. Do you know I believe this? I believe every family that comes to Emmanuel, they come for one reason. They want the best for their family. Now, I did not say that because I think that we're the best church in town. But I will tell you this. This is the church that God has for the members of Emmanuel at this season in your life. Because I truly believe that the families represented in this church want to know what God has to say. The last thing, or the fourth thing I'm going to leave with you, and uh, we may get out of here a little bit early. And uh, the fourth thing that I'm going to leave with you is this. I said the first thing uh, is when it comes to the next generation, begins with the home. Uh, the first thing is there should be a clear line of distinction between the world and the church. The second thing, uh, second thing, there should be a clear line of alliance between the home and the church. And then in the home should be where you deal with the mixture of faith and doubt only to come to church for faith to be reinforced and uh, for what the home is and then the next thing look at Acts chapter 12 verse 17 there's a little phrase here in Acts 12 17 but he beckoning unto them with the, hand, with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, I want you to notice this, go show these things unto James. Let's stop right there. Go all the way back to Acts 1.13. And Mike, if you could put that up there on the screen for them. Acts chapter 1 verse 13. I want you to notice what this says. Acts 1.13. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus 
and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. Now I want you to notice that they killed James in Acts 12. This is not the same James. This is James the son of Alphaeus. Now I want you to notice the wording here. Go show these things. So this is Peter saying, go tell what just happened to the next, to the church. Because if you'll notice, it says James and to the brethren. Go to Acts chapter, Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 9. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 9. So if you look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. The reason I read these is because when it said go to James and the brethren, go back to Acts chapter 12, what it was saying was this. Go take what happened in your house and go be an encouragement to the church. Nothing encourages a church more. Nothing. Nothing encourages a pastor more than for families to tell us what God is doing in their family. It's easy for the pastor to stand up and tell stories of faith success successes of somebody's faith but you know what it's more than that it's when a family comes and says hey pastor let, let me tell you what happened the other day do you know that um, there sometimes dads will say hey you should hear what happened in our house the other day you should hear the discussion about the Bible or hear the discussion uh, this afternoon um, Deanna and the boys were over at the house and Natalie and I came home and to get ready to come back to the church house and Blake was standing there and Deanna said hey Blake sing Grand Bob your song and Blake stood there and Blake in our home our grandson started singing about the Lord. Something should be happening in your house. House. House of prayer. Where does this next generation come from? Where will our pastors, our deacons, our ushers, our Sunday school teachers, where will the godly men that we have right now in our church, where do they come from, guys, when we're gone moms when we're gone you know where they come from they come from the children in the homes and the house of Mary was a house of prayer and John Mark was raised in a house of prayer seeing miracles done seeing people set free from prison seeing this mixture of faith and doubt and he was there to see something Big done and the miracle said now you go to the church and you tell them what big things are happening in this home and so they did this was the relationship between the church and the home it was so dynamic and it was so powerful that all of a sudden no wonder the word of God was multiplied and no wonder generations were happening that even when Paul was an old man that he said this you bring John Mark to me for he's profitable now he waited too long but you know why he said he was profitable because John Mark was able to weather rejection from Paul he was able to weather a nondescript life all because of of the home and I will tell you and we're getting ready to end I will tell you 
that this relationship between the next generation and your home, the next generation and my home, all plays into this. There are three things. There's the world, there's the home, and there's the church. Let me end with a couple of things. When the home and the church work seamlessly together, and that when they leave your house and they come into God's house, and there is no difference, then what you're going to find out is, is that they will recreate two things. They will recreate your home because it's godly, and then they will recreate the church because it's godly. The only reason that the church is starting to get carnal and starting to get worldly is because the homes are putting a watered-down appetite of believing Christianity and God into those children. And so those children are looking for a worldly earth church. It's sad. It really is. But if the home has more of the influence of the world, and I wrote that down, if the home has more of the influence of the world than the, than, than, than the church, then don't expect the next generation to recreate Emmanuel Baptist Church. It won't happen. And, and, and it really is sad. It really is sad that if you let a conservative right-wing pastor pass off the scene. I'm 52 years of age. And if I pastor till I'm 65, I only have 13 more years. If I pastor till I'm 70, then I only have 18 more years. If in 18 more years, at 70 years of age, God calls me home, or I decide under God's leading that I'm done, Emmanuel Baptist Church will call a pastor that equals the spirituality of the homes. In 15 years, in 18 years, your 12-year-olds will be in their 30s. Think about this. Your 10-year-olds will be in their mid-20s. And I will tell you that it won't be until the next pastor that we know what kind of homes this next generation is very, very important. And I'll tell you why. Because the next generation holds in the palm of their hands something that is so wonderful that they could wake up and literally your great-grandchildren could be in a home and be in a church. And then they lose on two fronts. I said it last week, and I think it was a mouthful probably, but I appreciate all the responses and it just wasn't lip service. But I will tell you that I believe in the home. I believe in the chain of command. And through this name change and through the things that we've gone through, I think your pastor has probably taken the biggest hit. Well, if you're changing the name, you must be changing the belief system or changing the standards or changing a hundred other things. And the answer is no. No. I believe in the Bible. 
I believe in right, I believe in wrong. I believe in very conservative values. I believe in biblical-based standards. I believe Christ ought to be honored and glorified. And the only thing I'm trying to do is lead the church how I led my home. And that is in honesty and just transparency and just trying to love the Lord. And when we're wrong, we admit it. And when we're wrong, we correct it. And we just want the Lord to be honored. And that if the world starts creeping into my home, I want to get it out. And if the world starts creeping into the church, let's get it out. Because the next generation of John Marks have got to come from a home to where they know the power of God. They know what it's like to see miracles done. They know what it's like to have a godly mommy and daddy. And then they know what it's like to have spiritual leaders who mirror God. You see, it's not the home and, and, and the church aligning with themselves. It is the home and the church aligning with God. And when the, these two line up with God, then that's when these two become a force against the world. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that doesn't mean that there won't be from time to time prodigals who will take off and go to the world. And all my heart's grieved. But I will tell you that it shouldn't be so. But if it is, let him step over a whole lot of God on two fronts. So there you go.